0: I'm going to start out with Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It's one of my favorite passages because it illustrates, it gives us a blueprint of how the early church operated. They had just been impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, God just came down. Jesus said, hey, I've got to go, but I'm going to send the Comforter to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. They encountered the Lord. It changed their life profoundly. They were never the same. And we're going to pick it up in Acts 2, verse 40. It says, and with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. They were in the midst of this incredible trial tribulations, atmosphere. And He was saying to them, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received His Word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine that many people coming to the Lord at one time? Just like, yes, I'm surrendering. Man, the Bible says that heaven rejoices when one person comes to the Lord. Now, 3,000, I mean, heaven was just way overjoyed. But it says, so then those who had received His Word were baptized. That day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together. Somebody say "together," together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. You see, corporately and from house to house. Corporately, that gathering, the big gathering, and from house to house. That small group, which are so important taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people in the Lord, was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, it's not news that the hardest thing about this season has been the separation. There's certain words I, I, I really don't care to hear again. Words like quarantine, shelter in place, Pivot. Pivot. Seriously, we're gonna have to pivot. I just want to spit it out like it's a cuss word, right? Pivot. We were not created to insulate or to isolate. The movie, uh, like one of my favorite movies is Tom Hanks in in Castaway, and he's playing this guy that you know through this bad circumstances, you know, shipwrecked, you know, plane goes down, finds himself. Alone on a deserted island. So he ends up with this, taking this volleyball and, and basically uh, (laughs) takes this volley. This is actually a soccer ball, but close enough. And, and, and he paints a face on it, right? How many of you watched the movie? And he calls it, well, son, right? And you know, this is so incredible because he's recognizing I need community. And Pastor Joe leaned over me and said, you know, when you said that in the first service, he said, you know, just remember, actually, how did he paint that face with his blood? cost him blood to create community. Man, that is just... A mic drop, cool right there. I like that. Sweet. Just give me a minute. <laughs> you know, as we... The big picture is that separation is a form of death. Oh, I want you just like, okay, separation is a form of death. Dying when we are created to live in community. And spiritual separation from God leads to death, and in the natural, separation is unhealthy as we were created to live and especially walk out our faith in community. That's how God created us, to walk out our faith in community. and In the movie, he ended up that way because of a shipwreck. You know, No choice of his own because sometimes that happens to people. But a lot of people end up that way because of choices and end up making their own shipwreck. And a lot of people by circumstances find themselves separated and not together and not gathered. There's a number of people already that I would term as relationally homeless. A place to stay, a job to go, stuff to do busy calendar full but no relational currency that they walk in a few years ago i preached on this epidemic in relationships and you know and i made the point that we're a nation filled with the relationally homeless surrounded by people and and you know sometimes i just even wonder how many homeless people have been wrecked and, and are there where they are because of damaged relationships somewhere along the line and we're isolated it's easier to watch and withdraw than to engage and partner we're in a culture come on you need to hear me that fosters individualism almost to idolatry it's this independence you know even sometimes how we portray in the church have you received Jesus as your personal savior you realize that's nowhere to be found in the bible yeah, there's surrender. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man comes in, I will come in. We understand that, but the Bible also says that God sets the solitary into family. That basically you're saved and then you're moved into a community, a spiritual community. And we're better at building fences than we are building bridges. We're afraid of intimacy. We're, we're afraid of transparency. Sometimes we're okay with relationship unless it brings accountability. And then oh, I don't know. I know that you know. I, I don't want that. I don't want that accountability. You're not the boss of me, right? And so there's a strategy to divide relationships. I want you to hear this because the strongest things that are built, both naturally and spiritually, are done together. The. I need, to, I need to say that again. Because I got one yup. The strongest things that are built both naturally and spiritually are done together. And then the devil up the bar. Yeah, and I said the devil. I believe the roots of this thing are Demonic. When you have a situation that brings separation uh, from people, uh, from family, it destroys businesses, it closes schools, it closes churches, it comes against the ability to educate and equip people both in the natural and in the spiritual. That's not kingdom. That's from a different kingdom. That's from a demonic kingdom. I'm just saying that. That's that that that's the truth of it, and 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 the problem is is we have to respond to it in like kind. I mean, we've got to understand, okay, uh, this is coming from this, so I need to respond in a kingdom way. The situation is maybe the most divisive strategy I've ever experienced in a lifetime. People are divided about the cause or the cure or the care. We end up fighting and contending against people and we forgot that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. We spend more time arguing than we do praying. We spend more time contending and basically doing this, and we're not contending in the right place. However. And it's just, come on, how awkward has it been? It's still there's some just, I mean, I love living where we live because you're like, okay, this is cool, you know, free state of Idaho, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still awkward. I mean, you're, you're, you're walking into a place of commerce and you're wondering, okay, people don't like to meet your gaze or, you know, hey, is it okay, okay, fist bump or, you know, air high five or whatever, it's just crazy. We weren't created for that. We're created to like, I mean, I heard a guy like on the major level say, I don't think we should basically in our culture have handshakes ever again. I'm like, fire on that. Because we're created for touch. We're created. Now, some people are a little more touchy feely than others, right? I mean, I get that. Some people are like all about it. I wasn't a super touchy feely guy till I married my wife, and she made me one. I mean, seriously. She's like, no, you're going to hold my hand and you're going to do it in public. I mean, the the worst thing is like here in the mall, she says, I think you should kiss me right here in the mall. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not into public displays of affection. So she's just been for 40 years, she's just been pounding on this like stoic exterior. Breaking it down one day at a time. So some of us are all, but this is just a different season, man, and it's weird. However, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So the good, there's some good in this, man. I choose to look through it, the filter of what are you doing, God? What are you creating? And some of the good, is that many people have had a wake-up call that the idol of recreation or sports or government or work has been torn down. Uh, Some of the good is that people recognize the importance of relationship and community, especially when community was almost impossible. I mean, there were people that were dying of loneliness. Literally, physically dying of loneliness. We weren't created to live alone. And some of the good is that many people, God's people, are coming back to understand how important it is to gather together to regroup. By definition, regroup. Reassemble or cause to reassemble into organized groups typically after being attacked, or defeated. One of the overwhelming things we found in this is how important it was to come together as a church community. That many people have taken it for granted. We had people drive for miles from another state when we opened because they, the churches in their area had not opened up yet and they recognized the need to gather. And I'm not... I'm not placing a judgment on that at all. Every church and every pastor and every leader had to kind of feel like how do I walk in step with my community? How do, I, how do I do this and that? So that's not what it's all about. What it's all about is people recognize I can't live like this and a church alive is worth the drive. Wherever I'm going to go, this is where I have to be and I have to bring my family in this. So I want to... That's why the series is Regroup. I want to open up Some biblical insight on why God has always directed his people to make sure to gather. And yes, I said God, not some pastor. God declares that gathering is essential, is essential. Gathering and attending is designed for our spiritual survival. But even more than that, it's actually designed not just for survival, but actually so that you might thrive, so that we can thrive. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it said, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, forsaking not our own assembling together, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Actually, I'll hear people say, Oh man, Pastor, the day's drawing near. It's like, Well, actually, then you should be gathering more than less. If you believe the Word of God. This is, this, is, this is what God has designed. See, God, think about this. Neglecting to gather is to turn from God's design and directive. That's pretty black and white. This is just the Word of God. God has given you and I a prescription, if you will, on how to be strengthened, encouraged, equipped, empowered, and filled, and not only to survive spiritually, but to thrive Spiritually. So it'd be like this it'd be like, man, I got something going on with me. Uh, you know, I can't get this kind of figured out. You go to your doctor, your doctor gives you a prescription, and you go, yeah, I don't need that. I got this all figured out on my own. Right? Wrong. See, I'm not content to survive. My goal is to thrive, and God's goal is for us to thrive. There's the Father's heart of God, just like a good Father in the natural which see uh, their their new baby uh, girl or, 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 or boy and you have dreams man I mean when my my boys are born it was like I'd already put a Superman cape on them in my head. Right? They're gonna do great things. This is, this is the heart of the Father God. He actually wants to come, He wants us to come together, to assemble together. Holy Spirit moving, working, equipping, healing, changing, transforming. I mean, bringing us to a different place than what you were before. That's, that's the goal of God. And God's designed that. You see pattern in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's something in our DNA that says, okay, we're not created to live alone. We, we need to gather in community. If you don't gather in the right community, you will be gathered in the wrong community. Can I just say that? There's something here that's super powerful. Well, I don't like big crowds. Well, I'm telling you what, man. Then For you, heaven's going to be crowded. Because God wants heaven to be full, right? Amen. So, when you make a decision to not gather, you are deciding something. Correct? You are deciding that you know better than God what you need and what He wants of you. Because you can't look at the Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the blueprint of the New Testament church and conclude... Yeah, it's okay for me. It's just me and Jesus out, on the, out in the woods. My church is out in the, on the golf course. I, I, can't, I can't find that theologically. It just doesn't work. Well, then people say, well, well two or more gathered. Now that actually has never been the definition of church. Of the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's never been that. And when you run from that gathering commitment, I told Robbie, I need you to pray for me because this might be pretty challenging. But when you run from that, you embrace a narrative that Christianity is individualistic and not community. And you're saying that you know better than God what's good for you. See, God's design is that growing spiritually is to be relationally present. Gathering and attending is designed for our spiritual survival, and the devil hates it when God's people gather together. Hates it. That's why there's always a resistance. That's why the pipes break the night before. That's why the car won't start. That's why you're all ba- oh my. You know, I just you know, I I mean, the the busyness and the directives and just that basically, this is crazy always busy, always redirects, always changes your priorities, or church hurts and division. Listen, a predator always wants separation. Wants to cut people out of the collective herd. And there's always going to be some church hurts. There's always going to be some stuff like that you've got to walk through. Man, I tell you what, when our kids come over... And we got seven grandkids running around. I mean, somebody's always getting poked in the eye. You know, I mean, I went out one time and I realized my my my, my little sons are trying out their new rocket arms, and I've got like big rocks on top of my house. I'm like, whoa! Thank goodness that wasn't a window. You know, somebody knocks somebody's tooth out. You know, I mean, it's just stuff like that that goes on. You know. And it's like, yet it's family. And sometimes you got to clean up on aisle five. You got to go, but it's still family. No, Joel, you can't bring Tootie over anymore because she's picking on her older brothers. Said no good, Papa ever. You just deal with stuff. It's going to be stuff that happens. I've not seen. Uh, you know, we're we're actually going to do. I'm kind of excited about this. We're going to do a a, a series in the fall about family and and. I don't know if my staff's gonna let me name it, but I wanted to call it the whole fam damnly. I do. I just like because it ain't easy, man. It's not easy navigating that stuff, right? Well, it's not always easy navigating this, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to assemble and together because this is his family. This is what he's doing. And he's and he's and, and he's excited that you're coming and he's got some things that are prepared for you. But here's the issue: we're a benefit structured culture. We, we're, we're about the bennies. We exercise because we understand that healthier lives are the benefit. We have a Costco card because we understand that we have the benefit. So, so let's just go there for a minute. Let's, let, let, let's just take that and go there. There was a New York Times article in 2013. And it was you know a non, non-Christian publication it was just taking you know, some research. And here is what it said. The benefits of church. Let's just talk about church. you talking about church? And one of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. We know that. But listen to this, religious attendance, at least religiosity, boosts the immune system, increases, decreases the blood pressure, it may add as much as two or three years to your life. Studies show that there's a 22% less clinical depression with someone who goes to church once a month. What would that be like if they went like three or four times a month? 22% just from one. Like, man, if, I, if my clinical depression decreased by 22%, I'd be like, there is a prescription. I'm all in. I'm not just going to take it once a month. Studies show that church attendance leads to better time management. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, there, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Studies show that young people, to your parents, that young people, uh, or that people that young people have better grades and better higher education prospects, including degree programs with church attendance. Doesn't surprise me because they're getting encouraged, they're getting built up, their minds are being renewed. There's something bigger purpose in them. Or, or, or here, here's a, here's a, here's a crazy one. Studies show that people that attend churches have much healthier physical intimacy in their marriage. Sex. That's what they say. Like, honey, we need to be going to church a lot more. <laughs> or maybe someone's saying, hey, we need to decrease our church attendance. Said no one ever. It's crazy. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with just benefits though. See, benefits change. Benefits change. They don't keep you consistent or loyal in the long run. Better interest on this card, better benefits at this health club, brand loyalties change with the wind these days. It used to be, man, you were a Ford man. You lived and breathed and you died for it. You're burying my, bury me in my truck. Chevy said no poison ever. <laughs> Dodge. I mean, seriously, think about this. These things change. Now, we're not supposed to forget his benefits, which it states in Psalm 103 forget none of his benefits who forgives your sin and heals you of all your diseases. But it's more than that. See, the world and the culture will continually compete for your time. It'll steal your time. It'll steal your affections. And if it's all about benefits, you'll end up being drawn away from what God has said, this is is what My people do. It's also about design. It's not about benefits, even though there's definitely some benefits, but about design. It's how we were designed to operate, live, and love the best. God's people and the church have always had this assembling nature put into them by God. Attending and gathering of God's called out ones is both the biblical and the historical pattern followed by the early church and followers of God. It's always been that way. If we read that story again in early church in Acts 2, I want to point out a couple of things. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. There's just something that happens when we come together that does, it's just different. It's just different. I'd like to tell you it's not. But like I am always aware of my wife's presence with a text. Or with a phone call, but ma'am, when she's face to face with me, and we're coming together with people that are carrying the kingdom of God inside them, there's something that just goes to another level. And God knows that, and He's designed that. He's designed you to, to be part of what He is building. Not just be a spectator, or an occasional participator, This is day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladly, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And some of this, I believe, is the fact that there was such a transformation that was happening, and people would go, wow, Harry, you are not the same. What's happened to you? Wow, let's go. Come on, let's do this. See, we're contending against a perverse and evil culture. And yet, in the midst of that, Jesus is building something beautiful, holy, powerful, exciting. And it's so powerful that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, which means that the church is on the move. See, a lot of times you read that, He says, I'm going to build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we're thinking that, okay, we've got this... We got this fortress and we're holding off the listen gates don't move the gates of hell are being assaulted and assailed by this living moving organism called the church and it's like it's 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 advancing the kingdom of God he says they don't have a chance the only way they have a chance is if you don't work together assemble together gather together put your strengths together allow God to do what he's doing be part of what God is doing And all the materials that Jesus is using to build look like you and I. Which is just crazy. He's taking the lost. He's taking the broken. He's taking the rejected and the wounded. And He's making something out of all of us collectively that have eternal implications. And if I love Jesus, I want to be a consistent part of what Jesus is doing. And the Bible says He's building His church. A building doesn't become a building until all the materials are assembled. A number of years ago, Robbie and I were living down in McCall, and we had an opportunity to have a house built for us. It was so cool because we we'd go out we 'd look at the piece of property that we'd bought and and then pretty soon the the lumber company came and began to just stack stuff you know the the trusses and You know, the beams and all this stuff and we'd go out there and we'd look at this pile of stuff and go, That's our house, man. Cool. Except it really wasn't our house till it was assembled. Till the master carpenter came along and actually started putting it together. And then you go, Okay, I get it now. Listen, you God is calling us. We're all part we're living stones. I mean, we're the redeemed. We're the broken that are made whole. We're the depressed that are actually encouraged. We're the shaken that are no longer walking in fear. And He's bringing us all together. And He's building something. And build. Listen, I just talked to someone who said they weren't going to build right now because of the cost. Building will always cost you something. You know, building a fence will cost you something. I had to replace a fence last year. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just a fence. Right? There's something we, we have to understand, and being part of what Jesus is building is worth the cost. The cost of your time, your priority, your finances, and making it part of your calendar. Listen, I mean, we calendar stuff. Like, my wife is so good. We got a vacation, it's on the calendar. We got a birthday, it's on the calendar. We got a graduation, it's on the calendar. Does your calendar include the gathering and assembling together on a consistent basis that we've seen the pattern in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the early church? God's people habitually assembled for prayer, for worship, for celebration, for feast. They assembled to remember all that God had done and to remind the next generation of the goodness and faithfulness of God. They met for discipleship, equipping, they met for healing. Everett Ferguson writes this, in an assembly, the church becomes conscious of itself, confesses itself to be a distinct identity, and shows itself to be what it is. There's a pastor I read recently that lives in Washington, D.C. And he would run into one of the justices of the Supreme Court, like, you know, getting coffee at the same coffee stand or shopping at the same marketplace. And, and he points this out, which is really interesting. He viewed the man differently when he saw him assembled together as the Supreme Court as a supreme court who they are when they assemble something changes something is different they take on a joint identity when they're together this is this is really pretty amazing the church is visible to the world when it gathers there's something even a statement that gets made when people drive by and they see 150 cars out in the parking lot wow wow what's going on in there you may, there, there's something that changes when you actually hear the you hear the voice of the church being raised up in worship. It's a sound like no other sound on the face of the earth. It, it's something that that just I mean, in, you know, God used to send out the worshipers first, and I think them just singing, basically, would just would put terror in the hearts of the enemies. Like that's a different that's a different place. That's a different sound. The church is visible to the world when it gathers. Ephesians 3.10 says, So the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Not just here, but also here. Something happens when you come together. You look better together. I look a lot better when I'm with my wife. I guarantee you. You wouldn't believe how like old redneck I could get without her being around me. She's like, "Honey you ain't going to go out in that. are you? Uh, what, what's wrong with you? now? You need to change that. I know we're just going down to the hardware store, but don't be looking like that." So we influence each other and we just there's just something that changes when we're together. Timothy Keller, great theologian, writes this: "Something unique happens in corporate worship that doesn't happen apart from it. There's something different when we come together. So why do we gather? First of all, to be obedient to God's directive, to be equipped, to have our minds renewed, to exercise spiritual gifts on behalf of others. It's not just about what you get, it's about what you give. God puts you in an opportunity to where you actually can be the encouragement, you can be the word, you can be the heart, the hands, the feet of Jesus to somebody else in your, in your, in in your church community. To model our love for one another. Oh man, so-and-so poked me right in the eye again. Yeah, but I'm going to love. Knocked out my tooth. I'm going to love. I'm going to overcome some stuff. You get to practice cleanup on aisle 5 right here. Amen? How many of you have ever been offended by somebody at church? Come on. Jesus said it was going to happen. He said offenses will come your way. Somebody's going to poke you in the eye. Somebody's going to hurt you. Sometimes it hurts really, really bad. It's not fair. It's not good. It's not kingdom. But we got to walk through this stuff because that's what family does. For accountability. Oh man, I love you. I don't like that accountability stuff. Listen, I don't know about you, but I need accountability in my life. I need accountability. And then there's something that happens when we do this. I want to give you some action steps. I want to give you some action steps. Listen, we were, I mean, think about this. The spiritual, you grow spiritually in a spiritual community. Just like, you know, if you think about a marriage, we we celebrated uh, a friend of ours and, and, and a couple in our church. They did 50 years of marriage celebration yesterday. It was amazing to see that. And I was thinking about that a little bit this morning and I was thinking, you know what? That comes out of community. Like for me, I wasn't raised up where that was the norm. I was raised up where actually divorce was the norm. I was raised up where you know I had a mom that just I mean you know she I love her I loved her I mean she's amazing. She made sure that that our my with all the brokenness that we were in church and something just happened, you know I I mean she 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 did that. But as far as relationships, it was it never had that model to me. But you know where it was modeled to me? It was modeled to me in the community, the spiritual community that I grew up in. I saw people that were married so long, they started looking like each other. Like y'all from Kentucky? Or what? You know? Where the branches aren't very... You know what I'm saying? Sorry. if you... I'm just messing with you. But I thought about this. It's like Because Robbie and I, we celebrated 40 years last year. And I'm thinking, how would that have worked if we would have tried to live in isolation? Yeah, I married you, I do, till sickness and death do I part. And then like, okay. But I need my own personal whatever. It doesn't work, man. Separation. When you participate in separation, you're participating in a form of death. So here's some action steps. Establish a new rhythm. Take your spiritual life and make it a priority on your calendar change your habits, plant, commit. Years later, you will thank me for that. Most of all, you will thank God for that. That has probably been the most singular thing in my life that's led to health and wholeness is just recognizing I need this, I'm committed, I'm planted. And this was far, far, far before I was a pastor. It was I just, I just recognized this. David was a man after God's own heart and he was obsessed with the presence of God and obsessed with the house of God. In Psalm 26.8, he says, Lord, I love the habitation of Your house and the place where Your glory dwells. Psalm 84.10 says, I would rather... For a day in your courts is better than a thousand else elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Here's my challenge. Look at your calendar. Talk to your, your husband. Talk to your wife. Talk to your family. Whatever. If you're single, just look at it and go, I'm going to make a commitment. I mean, what would happen if I'm just not you know here once a month or twice a month? But I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm meeting in the temple and from house to house. I'm telling you, there will be something that will absolutely change in in what's happening inside of you. Because you can't help but come in here and be impacted to what the Lord is doing. I mean, God is moving. He's equipping. He's washing. He's healing. It's like, oh man, this is so good. Is it difficult at times? Yeah, I'm telling you what, the devil will bring busyness and priorities and all this stuff and distractions. Here's my second action step. Model it. Model it. What you're doing now as parents or grandparents are setting the bar for your children in the next generation. They say this that counselors will tell you that what parents do in moderation, their children will do in excess. Kind of a terrifying thought in a lot of ways. Like, okay, I need to be, I need to really do this. Be careful with what I'm doing. And, and once again, what message are you sending about kingdom priority? Despite that incredibly broken life, my, my mom and my grandmother modeled consistency that bore fruit in my life. Their consistency affected my relationship going forward. Uh, I mean, seriously, I mean, maybe I'm the weird kid, but I kind of love, like, okay, the Sunday school and then the church, flannel graphs. For some of you young people that just went just like that. You are just like, what are they talking about? I mean, I remember doing church when they had like overheads, they didn't have a computer in the back. You had a guy sitting up there that would do the overheads, you know. That's cool. And then you know, I mean, people are like, Let's go back to the good old days. Let's not go back to those good old days. That was that was a time and a season, but it's good. But something happened in my life. I just in fact when Robbie and I were um were We 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 dated for a year. Um, We talked about getting getting married, and once we did, and I wasn't really walking with the Lord, man. I'd been kind of like my whole goal was like be a rock and roll guitar player, and you know, and I'm you know I'm in all the junk that you shouldn't be into. But when we talked about getting married, something changed in me, and I said, listen, I probably had a, you know, I I don't know what I had in my hand. It probably wasn't it wasn't legal. Let me just say that. And I remember talking to her and I said, you got to know this about me. If we're going to get married, I have to walk with Jesus. And she looked at me like a freight train looking for a dirt road. I mean seriously, it was like, what? Because she wasn't brought up like that at all. I'm like, no, I have to walk with Jesus. Something had been instilled in me because my mom, despite. Five marriages, my grandmother, despite her brokenness and the abuse that she did, she realized this is the place where there's going to be community, where there's going to be foundation. I'm going to make sure that I have my kids and my grandkids in this place, and I've got to model it. I can't just tell them about it, I got to do it. And it changed the course of my family's life. It's amazing. And finally, be a be a personal invitation. I invite people to be part of what Jesus is building. Take the empty seat beside you and pray it might be filled so that the person might be filled. There are people that need what we're experiencing and sometimes we're familiar with and we take it for granted. Participate in what Jesus is doing. You are being built, so be a leader. Be a builder also. Now this is this is cool. I'm going to conclude with this. But a recent study by Lifeway found related uh, was a study of, of people that were, were not really, they weren't related to the church, connected with the church, they were unsaved. And so here's what they found our research project involved 308 uh, men and women in the United States and Canada. Every person interviewed was deemed to be both churched and non Christian. And while we ask some predetermined objective questions, we also let the unchurched person speak freely. Some of the best interviews we went had off our planned script, and it was in those contexts that we discovered some surprises. The surprises below listed. You got to hear me. Listen to this. Surprise number one. Most of the unchurched prefer to attend church on Sunday morning if they attend. Number two, most of the unchurched feel guilty about not attending church. Something in them. God's just drawing them. Number three, surprise three, 96% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. 96% are inclined if they are invited. Invited. And I'm like, man, what a, and that breaks my heart. And it's, it basically says, wow, what a great opportunity. You got people out there that are basically running, and all you gotta do is just soft toss them something, and they're gonna come. It's not that hard. Because Jesus is building something, we participate with Him. Surprise number four. Very few of the unchurched had someone share with them how to become a Christian. God help us to build. Help us to reach. And surprise number five, most of the unchurched have a positive view of pastors and ministers in the church. Like, wow, that's awesome. So wide open. That's what Jesus said. He said, the harvest is plenty. The labors are few. Man, God, help us. Please help us just to reach. Help us to overcome some of our... uh, I, I want to invite you into this beautiful, messy thing that we call God's family. It's beautifully broken and beautifully healed. And I want to invite you into this through a relationship with Jesus today. It's not only God's prescription for you and your family, but it's an invitation to build what Jesus is building that will not only influence the present, but also eternity. It's amazing. You're amazing. You know, I'm not, I'm not coming across this as some sort of legalistic thing, now shalt. That's not ever my heart. But I'm saying you're important. You're important to one another. What you bring to the table is exactly what somebody else needs. I mean, the bread that gets broken is the bread that you serve. The equipping that somebody needs, the Word of encouragement somebody needs the the prayer that somebody needs is actually you participating in this thing that Jesus is building and and it's it's beautiful it's wonderful it's it's amazing it's actually what we're going to have in eternity and we can have it now if you're here this morning I'd like every head bowed and eye closed if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I I I want to accept that invitation into this messy, broken, beautiful thing that Jesus is building. Maybe you've known about the Lord, but you've never taken the step to let that go into your heart and make that surrender and decision and say, "This is this is what I'm going to do, man. I I, I want to become a follower of Jesus today." If that's you and you've never done it, but you're saying today's the day I, I take that step of surrender. What I want you to do is right where you sit, I want you just to raise your hand. Just, just let me know. Okay, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else this morning, you're just saying today, today I, I accept this Jesus as Lord and Savior, man. Oh my goodness, God. The the Bible says, "Can can we just read?" The Bible says the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. Can we just rejoice and celebrate? Thank you so much, man! What an amazing day! What an amazing step! And God, right now, I just I feel to pray for. Help us to shift some things. Help us to reprioritize some things. Help us to model some new things. Help us to get into a different rhythm. God, I wonder what would happen if people that you know—they're just you know—I'm not—I'm not condemning people or judging people, Lord, but I know what you've called us to. I know you called us to this beautiful, wonderful thing that we probably don't even understand all that you're doing through it. But God, you are on the move, and it's not the time to be on the sideline. It's not the time to be a spectator. It's time to be a participator. And so I'm praying that God, you just. Lord, I know that that if I ask every person here just to quiet their spirit and say, God, do You want me to gather and make that a priority? I already know what the answer would be because I see it in Your Word. I see it in the pattern. I see it in the blueprint. And I see it in the health and the expression of people that do. I pray that, God, we have maybe a new rhythm, a new level, a new understanding. It's not just about the benefits. It's about what we're building together. And I pray, Lord, that You just show us the distractions, show us the lack of priorities, show us the stuff we have to overcome. Some of those are small. Some of those are bigger. But God, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray You just move in a profound way. And we just give You the praise and the thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.